What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. We're giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am here, as always, with my co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? It's a never-ending story, man. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Dave's alluding to Stranger Things 3, which we're going to be talking about the second half. We reviewed the first half uh, last week, so check that out on our YouTube breakout. We're also going to be talking some albums and uh, Aziz Ansari stand-up special today. But before we jump into any of that, hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to find all the ways to check out the podcast and give us a five-star reading review on iTunes. Also follow the pod at nostalgiapod on Twitter where we talk about all the news, notes, and stuff going on in the pop culture world. Dave, Big Crit dropped a new album. Crit is here. Interesting title name since it was his first his first mixtape was crit is coming is that correct yeah yeah he's he's used his name a lot like that he likes to use it as an acronym I, n- I never remembered what it, what it stood for because he does have his name as an acronym crit so but yeah he's um we haven't actually talked about him on the pod but he's been around a long time obviously he dropped an album back 2017 we just missed it but yeah this was um kind of unexpected for me crit is here though fourth full length from him had you listened to him before just singles here and there i'd heard him on some features um you know i I got him aware of 1999 um energy big bank like some of like the bigger songs but not really familiar with his like deeper tracks so to speak well he's been around since he kind of blew up in 2005 or at least hit the scene in 2005 because he did that song with Ludacris, right i think it was uh country shit yep exactly and then i mean he was a 2011 xxl freshman same cover as like mac miller yg kendrick minted as a new star long ago and but even before that as you said he kind of like existed in that like post dirty south southern scene as a guy who's born bred mississippi and all about that country shit (laughs) really he he really uh, owns his uh country identity throughout all his music but it's kind of been a weird arc for him just because that debut album live from the underground 2012 that was his def jam debut and that was pretty uh lukewarmly received given the hype he had built through his mixtapes and his eps and stuff and after that he kind of had a lot of issues with def jam he released catalactica which i thought was all right it was solid but he just kind of like went away for a while i mean he, he think he opened up for macklemore's big first big tour but other than that he was wasn't really heard from that much and it just felt like kind of like a missed opportunity given how uh deep and introspective he was for a southern rapper especially but then 2017 post def jam split forever is a mighty long time came out and that was definitely return the form and then he released a bunch of eps last year which we also didn't talk about he put them on a tdt a compilation right in the beginning of january this year and he's back right again with critis here and i've never been like the biggest fan i always thought his music was a little dense at times but he almost is kind of like a southern coal and i think the fact that they unite on this album for a song hopefully bring some Cole fans into the crit orbit just because I feel like that's a that's a pretty close Venn diagram I mean what did you think diving in fully yeah you know I was surprised and, and maybe this is singular for this album in uh, specifically but I felt like there was a lot more singing yeah and it was a lot more you know jazz vibey that I was expecting I was kind of expecting something a little more bangerish so to speak I, I thought there was a lot of really good stuff on here but it was so long like 59 minutes you know and i kind of started to lose a bit of the attention by the end just kind of wanted it to wrap up i did really like the j cole song prove it and i also really liked crit is here or crit here the first song but other than that nothing really like stood out but i was like oh this is i i I was getting down to it just wasn't like popping out at me how did you feel about the album yeah it's the same thing with me like forever is a mighty long time that's damn near 90 minutes and like it's not like Migos ninety minutes, like it's really dense ninety minutes. And like you said, he's gotten a little more soulful in his later years, and that that's cool. I'm glad to hear him branching out. But even leaving that aside, I just find sometimes that his shit's just a little a little dense for me sometimes. And like I know he's got a lot of hardcore fans. I've never been a hardcore fan, so it's like you kind of want to ask them what they think of him because he's never really been a huge mainstream rap star or anything like that despite being really well known but the hardcores are the ones who i feel like have the the most valuable opinion of crit just because they've been like riding with him since those since those tapes and you know like you said on this it's easy to kind of fade in and out 
through this track list. Not a lot of features. That's usually normal. That's normal for him. And frankly, I think some of the bigger energy songs are songs that we had already heard because they were on those EPs from last year, uh, Energy and Learn From Texas specifically. And I like those songs. Those songs are good. And again, Crit, when he brings it, when he brings the energy, when he brings like a faster flow like that, it does stand out because he is clearly a very competent technical rapper. But I don't know, just maybe just his beat choices for me. He, I, I almost just kind of get lost in in his in his record. That's why I've never really fell in love with any of them. But the talent's still obviously uh, very present. And I mean, if you're talking like active Southern rappers after like Killer Mike, I mean, I don't I really don't know who else you really want to put up there with Big Crit in terms of like bars and lyrics and just talent and all that. Tough, tough. That's interesting. I don't really think about him in that way. I feel like in in a lot of senses when he kind of burst onto the scene he was someone that i think people talked about having a lot of potential and hasn't had that like one breakout album maybe i've kind of missed it but i feel like he's kind of he kind of gets forgotten but it's interesting to hear you talk about him as being this very like established southern rapper behind killer mike i wonder do you feel like it's that he hasn't had like the commercial success but just like the quality and and, like the denseness has made it so that it's obvious that he's better than the commercial success would lead people to believe. Yeah, I think that's kind of two sides of the same coin. You know, when he signs with Def Jam, everyone was really excited to have the extra exposure put on Crit and off the, that huge mixtape run. And like, this is great. He'll be huge. And you kind of you live scratching your head about why it didn't happen. Part of that was because Live for the Underground wasn't that great. That great. It was very disappointing, at least. But I, I really think Forever is a money long time. Like that, that, that got a lot of critical acclaim. But as you said, he's not a mainstream rap star. And I think partially it's that denseness. He never found a way to have more crossover success the way someone like a Ti did, or anything like right. that, or Ludacris. Obviously, and I think he's better pure rapper than Ludacris. Obviously, but Ludacris has better records. And, you know, like I said, I think just Crit has those hardcore fans. There's a lot of those fans. They will ride for him. And he kind of reminds me of like a, a non-mainstream Cole, as I said, a Southern non-popular Cole. And it's an interesting career because now that he's independent of Def Jam and he's on a, what's it called, a multi-alumni LLC under BMG, some kind of independent. It's his own label. Yeah, it's his own label. There you go. He's not hurting or anything. So it's just interesting yeah. to see what, what direction he wants to take stuff because, you know, the soulful stuff is, is newer. So he clearly is not interested in the success Def Jam probably promised him anyway. So I don't expect this to him to 360 anytime soon. But mm-hmm. very interesting career from a lot of different angles. Definitely. Why don't we move on to another interesting guy, Dev Hines, a.k.a. Blood Orange. You know, we, we reviewed uh, Negro Swan last year and... We really liked it, and I think we were taken aback by the artistry of it and the way that Dev Hines was able to really like meld these songs together and make this one very singular feeling piece of art that was still flourishing in, in so many different perspectives, in so many different ways, you know, throughout, and it had these really interesting arrangements and just uh, musicianry throughout. Then he drops Angel's Pulse uh, this past weekend as a mixtape, yes. and a guy that before was dropping projects every couple of years seemed to really want to like give people time to think about these things. Now dropping uh, another project one year after his last one. Well, what do you think of this, of this new mixtape in, in comparison to Negro Swan? Yeah. It's, it's interesting just because he doesn't have any mixtapes to this point. He just has those three albums. And mm-hmm. yeah, when I heard that and I also heard it explicitly labeled as a mixtape, something most people don't actually do these days. I was like, oh, this is this is an interesting way to communicate expectations and artistic intent in a way most artists don't think about these days. So we've talked about that before. I was very intrigued is again, it's blood orange. It's Dev Hines. It's he's not right putting out thirty songs a year or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, hearing him talk about it, I did he did do a fair bit of press. He talked to Craig Jenkins and a lot of other people about this. He's calling it like an afterward to Negro Swan, which I find very interesting because I didn't really think about Negro Swan that much at all while listening to Angel's Pulse. I thought it was a, a definitely a different listen in a, in a positive way, at least for me. But yeah, very, very uh, unexpected. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Craig Jenkins' article, I felt like he really described the album or this mixtape in a, a way that summarized it really well. It feels like you're listening to a radio and it kind of like flicks in between songs quickly that 
a lot of the songs don't I think that there's a similarity to them, but a lot of songs feel very singular, feel like there's not necessarily like a cohesiveness to the album as there was with Negro Swan, but that almost works to allow some more interesting things to come through. And I do I do get that sense like you don't know what's coming up next, but it's going to be something that you want to listen to or they're going to flick the station pretty quickly anyway. What, what songs on here stood out to you? You said that you liked this a little bit more than Negro or at least like it stood out to you in a better way than Negro Swan. Yeah, yeah. So I think what I liked about Angel's Pulse is that it was much more uh, accessible lighter listen than a lot mm-hmm. of his past work, which definitely just deals with a lot of more serious themes. And I would say that this is totally uh, frivolous or anything, but I just thought... Maybe it's that 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 radio vibe that was intended. I'm not sure, but it just sounded like it flowed in a just a simpler way, and mm. I just kind of connected with that a little bit. I think partially there's a lot of features on this. Yeah, you know, Dev f- feels like he's just kind of hanging out with the homies in a lot of instances here, and in a good way. Like I think track three, "Dark and Handsome" with Toro Imai, uh, that song rules. Yeah, I love that song a lot. Um, you had Justine Sky on here twice. You have. Uh, Tanache on here twice. I mean, in the gold teeth with Project Pat and Gangsta Boo and Tanache. I was like, wow, shit. This is, you wouldn't have heard this on Negro Swan. Let's put it that way. It just wouldn't fit. Uh, but it was still, still a cool song to hear. It's interesting to hear Dev vocally be like one of the main voices on a song. I feel like usually when he collaborates with people in the mm-hmm. past, he's kind of been a background vocal or more of an arranger. You know, he's mm-hmm. not always like, like tag teaming a song with someone. So it was kind of cool to hear him do that with a lot of the guests on this. I was also very surprised to hear Joba from Brockhampton on this. Yeah, on Take It Back. Yeah, I can't remember any other Joba f- features outside of the Brockhampton sphere to this point. And I thought it fit well. Yeah, I, I wasn't on my phone when it popped up and I did like the, the eyebrow raise gif. I was like, oh shit, how about that? <laughs> That's cool. But yeah, even Dark and Handsome, he uh, shouts out the people he lost in 18. Everyone's saying that's a reference to... uh Mac Miller, who he had previously collaborated with. Obviously, this doesn't have the uh, ambition, the lyrical ambition of uh, Negro Swan. And that's pretty obvious. He s- didn't really try and say otherwise. But I think it still sounds really cool. And because it's Dev Hines, it just has like a, a high bar because he, the, the musical choices he makes are just unique in general. So I mean, what do you think? The, the presence of guests, the, uh, the lighter tone of it all, what do you think? Yeah, well, Negro Swan talked a lot about identity and it talked a lot about you know the struggles of that and how there's a bleakness to it and this one this album was so much lighter like you already said that it it just was kind of a lot lighter to listen to you know i felt like i was kind of floating through it and really able to like sink into the songs rather than kind of weighing the uh the intellectual heaviness of uh something like negro swan and uh i i really like the features i think they kind of brought out the best of dev hines especially take it back and dark and handsome like you already pointed out i think those two songs are just fantastic uh, yeah i really i mean blood orange at this point and dev hines just as a musical person in general feels like he's really establishing himself as one of the most interesting artists out there um only because i i can't really think of uh, a peer to him that sounds the way he does Steve Lacey wants to be Dev Hines. Not, yeah. not there yet. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, I think I think the internet altogether might be able to kind of channel that, but Dev is just such a you know a singular uh, talent at this mm-hmm. point. It's really interesting, and you, you got to hit that that subscribe button to the Dev Hines train because there's going to be some great stuff coming. We're going to put a couple of uh, songs. It sounds like Dark and Handsome and Take It Back. We'll probably make it on to our uh, 2019 best of our best of 2019 Spotify. Any last thoughts on this before we wrap up and head to your guy Ed Sheeran? Ugh, yeah, don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just hope people don't miss it just because it, it was kind of a surprise announcement. There wasn't any singles as far as I know. And yeah, like 11 months later, probably people aren't looking for it if they're already fans yeah. so make sure you uh spread the word on this one absolutely spread the word someone that doesn't need your help spreading the word is as i already said dave's favorite artist ed sheeran the greatest songwriter of our generation until yesterday the movie came out and showed that, uh, that it's really interesting to like be listening to an ed sheeran album so close to that movie it's framed because, a lot of my thoughts uh, to be honest it did <laughs> it, and like i was thinking about you know, in that movie, he really does, or he's positioned as like this generation's Beatles, you know, this songwriter and this amazing 
just creator of music. And I've never really seen Ed Sheeran that way. You know, we talked about, what was it, Divide? Was that the last one? I don't even yeah, know Divide. if we talked about it, dog, to be honest. That was 2017. That was the last one he dropped. We definitely talked about it. Did we? Uh, I, the one with Shape of You, of course. Yes. At least if I, what I remember, and maybe I'm just uh, so podcasted, <laughs> such, so like in the podcast zone now that every conversation I feel like we have is on the podcast. I remember us talking about how he's just this big, sappy artist. Yeah, I don't know. It, I was sitting, I was listening to Number Six Collaborations Project, which is, you know, uh, in a way, a follow up to his 2011 Number Five Collaborations Project, yeah, which, uh, yeah, didn't. I, I don't remember getting a lot of acclaim at the time, but also wasn't super tuned into Ed Sheeran at that point. That was an indie release. He had released right. all those EPs before even signing, so it was like before that the first debut album. So yeah, I'm not sure how many people are aware of it at all this naming convention probably forced a lot of people to google because like what the fuck does this mean it's kind of a yeah obtuse title until you realize it's actually following something up i guess i'll, I'll start with you what how did you feel about this album because i feel like you can kind of get the sense i'm a little exasperated oh yeah i mean so am i and like ed sheeran does not need us to, to talk about him at all he, he's <laughs> the number one artist on spotify as soon as he dropped i don't care what bieber divide from 17 with shape of you was the best-selling album of 2017 and is the eighth best-selling album in the U.S. of this decade. And this and Multiply are the third and fourth best-selling U.K. albums of the decade behind Adele's two albums. Like, he is a, a international superstar in the biggest possible sense. It really can't be overstated, the, the numbers this dude does. It's kind of insane. And he's only 28 years old, despite feeling like he's been there lives eight years at least. And... You know, he's got four Grammys. He, he, he's, he's a star. He's a superstar. But I don't think he's ever had a good album. Oh, wow. And, like, he has good songs, songs you really can't, you can't deny. And even if you don't, like, you're tired of hearing them because they got overplayed, they are still, like, you know, dynamite songs. Songs like Don't and Thinking Out Loud and A-Team and I guess even Shape of You to a lesser extent. But as a singer, the singer-songwriter type that he is, and he kind of has always blended genres. You can li listen back to that number five collaborations project 2011. Uh, featured on that is Devlin and Wiley, UK rap artists. He's always done the rap rock, putting his toe in that, that sphere since before he was famous, even though it got a lot more attention and hate than more recently. But I've always felt like his albums have just been a little lacking. Like he's always just kind of played it really safe um, in terms of, as you said, just being a sap. And making these kind of bland, emotional thing, uh, songs that connect with people, but it doesn't feel like he's trying that hard. I think he definitely has album deep cuts that like his real hardcore fans probably would really ride for. But at least I feel like for most of like the bigger singles, and I mean, you go to Divide, I think every one of those songs has its own Wikipedia entry. That's like, that's again, that's how much streaming Insane. it did, right? But I've never really been wowed by stuff. In fact, he almost stands out, like, obviously, as singer-songwriter is his, his his identity, right? And the songwriting aspect, you know, it kind of like sneaks up on you at times. Remember, uh, uh, Love Yourself, Justin Bieber, famously written by Ed Sheeran, Grammy-nominated and all that. And that's one of those like, oh shit, you know, this this is actually like really, really well done. And I just feel like I don't have that thought often on Ed's actual songs. And this number six collaborations project is Ed Sheeran just making a DJ Khaled album, except he's actually performing with all his guests. So... In a sense, it's even safer, and he can just kind of float in on these songs and oftentimes get killed by his guests on said songs, but it's okay because he said Sheeran. It doesn't actually matter. There are no stakes for him anymore. Edward Sheeran, another one. <laughs> so that's actually a funny visual. E even though his guests obviously are the ones that stand out on this, there is something to be said for the way he's able to almost be this chameleon-like mm -hmm. musician at this point where yeah. he can kind of jump between genres and... Even if you don't necessarily like the songs, it's not like not like he's unskilled or untalented. Oh, certainly not. It's pretty impressive, at least in that respect. And you know, like you said, he works with a range of artists on this. I mean, he's got Camille Cabello. He's got the Cardi B on the same song. Chance Stormzy, who, by the way, just headlined Glastonbury, which is mm -hmm. just insane. Very timely feature. Let's put it that way. Take, yeah. Taking back to London. <laughs> That's a good one. Bieber, Travis Scott, LMI, Her, Skrillex, which that that song was tough. And then <laughs> uh, then he ends it with uh, Chris Stapleton and 
Bruno Mars. Mm-hmm. So he's got he's got the star power on, on here. Did any of these songs stand out to you that you liked? And, and to your previous point, I think he is good at blending of the genre. And despite what the dude joked about in yesterday about uh, keeping it to the brothers in terms of rapping, as far as like pop rap crossover late hip hop goes, he's not bad at it. Even if it often can be quite cringy, I think he's he, he he's he's a talented guy, and he's mixed sounds for such a long time that it doesn't feel like he's riding any new waves or anything. I would never charge him with that. Right now, I think a song like "South of the Border." I think Camilla and Cardi just take that song from him. Like, I, I, frankly, I've been thinking about yeah. it as a Camilla song and listened to it a few times already. I really like that one because these are actually like really inspired features. I think a problem with Khaled albums, a problem with movie soundtrack albums these days, stuff like that is they're all just phoned in verses half the time. They're probably pre-recorded. Like, no one tried harder than they need to. It's just they're just there for the bag. And while I feel like most of these people appreciate the bag they got from Ed Sheeran's label for this, <laughs> they still yeah. all tried pretty hard. And I, like Camilla and Cardi, I really liked. I really like Stormzy. Again, I think he references his mm-hmm. Glasto set on this. That's also, I think, probably one of the better rap crossovers Ed's done. Uh, they actually yeah. switch flows like they're... Hove and Kanye and gotta have it like it, it was actually sounded, sounded quite good actually I was, I was quite impressed Blow with Chris Stapleton and Bruno Mars kind of an interesting song just because it I think my problem with the album is it, it's a bit of a mess because nothing really sounds like anything else oh, yeah. maybe Ed's performances sometimes will sound the same but the beats the vocal deliveries from the guests are all over the place that there's really no through line at all and the last song being Blow with Chris Stapleton really going for it and then Bruno just kind of <laughs> mixing in it's just it's just interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, I I agree that it's a bit of a mess and there's no like through line that kind of ties it all together. But Blow in particular feels like it belongs on a completely different project because it's just it comes in so hard in most of the songs. <laughs> even if even if it's like you know Travis Scott or um, you know like Meek Mill and, and A Boogie on Thousand Nights, the, these songs still sound like Ed Sheeran songs in terms of like the intensity and kind of like that pop folky with a hip-hop beat underneath but blow just like this crazy guitar warring rock song that's just like okay where's this coming from there i mean i really feel like where ed hits his stride in this album is when he's working in the r&b sphere i feel like his song with uh yeba uh best part of me which is probably the softest song on the album but mm. stood out as one that i thought was pretty good i thought both lmi and um her give really good performances and i really liked i especially liked her performance on uh, i don't want your money i felt like those were the moments of the album really shined like you said though when he's rapping other than maybe with stormzy like cross with chance and pnb rock i thought was nope. terrible anti-social i mean travis scott bad. just Flat not bad good. just <laughs> not good so I, I guess meek stood out but remember the name was probably the most cringeworthy one oh. just eminem and 50 blatantly riding some coattails here it's not good no it's not like that one at all a shout out given jay huss a feature shout out the uk <laughs> uh, we gotta remember ed is an englishman but pairing jay huss with thug is is super weird um yeah. but i guess we shouldn't be surprised with the old town road feature he just did you said the skrillex song is tough i definitely agree with that travis features weird honestly i i think i don't care isn't good either and that song is huge okay. it's a big really popular song right now but I, it just feels like a very uninspired bland performance from both ed and beeps there's nothing special about either of that and i don't actually find it that catchy so that was actually quite a disappointing song for me since it first came out khalid nothing to speak of really from him but yeah i feel like for the ed fans they're just happy to hear and hear new stuff it's been about two years and because of most of these features are actually pretty inspired i think fans of those artists will probably latch on to some of these songs too so it's probably uh, wrong to call the album anything but a success you know it's clearly going to be a success for him but i do find it was pretty safe at least from ed's performance angle of it all no i i completely agree why don't we move on to something that wasn't as safe aziz ansari's new stand-up special aziz ansari back with his first special since the allegations came out early last year 2018 about sexually aggressive behavior the special is called Right Now, dropped on Netflix Tuesday, July 9th. Dave, I know that you saw him uh, live. Uh, obviously, no recordings, because that's kind of been the MO for these shows. You have to put the phones away in the box. Uh, 
how did you feel about the special compared to what you saw? Yeah, so I saw him in the Boston area back in February. And honestly, this was a very, very similar routine. A lot of these jokes may have been uh, referenced online leading up to this special, but it was obviously a much tighter routine because they shot this over three nights in Brooklyn in May. So he had 40 more shows, 50 more shows to hone in on this routine. And there were some jokes that I heard that weren't in this one as well as some new ones, just a few. So, but overall, yeah, it, it seems like he was definitely building to this moment very much uh, uh, thought out. So uh, <laughs> some of the jokes didn't quite hit as hard for me because I had already heard them before, especially in a live setting that's come to be expected. Um, but what did you think coming at most of this from the first time? Yeah, it's interesting. He starts off this show, right? almost with this whisper and it's a very stylistic or very stylized comedy special because you have spike jones directing it the cameraman is literally almost in aziz's face uh he's sitting on this stool a lot different than his usual like up tempo walking around kind of uh eccentric erratic energy and he starts off almost like i said with this whisper and he's you know talking about Hassan Minaj and being confused for him uh, and then you know reluctantly saying yeah that's me I'm master of none guy I'm a treat yourself guy and then he said oh and you had that, that sexual aggression allegation he's like oh no, no no that was Hassan you know and then he he goes into this whole thing about his experience with it about how he felt so alone how he felt so scared uh, mostly just felt terrible for the girl and her experience in it but maybe there was some good that came out of it because it he knows it's caused some other people to reflect and it kind of sets the tone uh you know he shifts it very quickly but that's obviously at the center of all of this and even when he veers off into some of that that patented silliness that i think we all have come to know and appreciate and has helped make him a very public uh a comedian a very successful comedian um, it's always kind of at the forefront of the special is these allegations and how that kind of hangs over his head throughout. This was what I found really interesting. How did you feel like he handled all that throughout the special? Yeah, so I had heard, obviously, a very, pretty similar variation of that when I saw him. And th- that I got picked up on culture sites when he first gave that uh, little speech. I think it was in a New York City show, I want to say. And... Yeah, I thought it came off as very thoughtful. I know um, it, it's interesting because any reviews as they started to come out on this special, the this this allegation from Babe.net um, is obviously framing everyone's uh, consumption of this special and, and the discourse around it, and it, it, I think it should obviously. And and the key the key to I think take away is because some people are just like very angry that Aziz is being given another platform by Netflix and has uh, seemingly found his uh, regular success once again with a global tour the past few months. And, you know, I think his his uh, thoughts on the matter and how he shared them come off as very thoughtful and uh, remorseful. He doesn't f- come across as defensive or bitter at all. And that's contrary to the way someone like Louis C.K. has carried himself recently. And also reminds you once again that Aziz, what he uh, purportedly did was not uh, the same as someone who is a predator, you know? Like, he's been wrapped up in the Me Too movement, but it's very much in a gray area because the interpretation of the severity of this, the situation depends on who you ask, whether that's male or woman. And it's a quite polarizing thing. There are some people that think it should be totally dismissed and some people think it should be totally canceled and i think obviously it's a little in the middle you shouldn't totally dismiss it and he's right to point out that overall the greater talking point around what he did something that wasn't actually criminal uh still is wrong and i think a lot of people perhaps have done men have done that unwillingly and you know i think he is right to say that there that is some kind of positive takeaway now some people won't be happy with that and I think a common thing I've seen is, well, he could be tre- he could be handling it worse, but it's a bit of a low bar, and you know I think ultimately you just kind of have to judge him for the way he's carried himself 
especially given the other people people or he's looped looped around with. So I, I like the way he uh, sprinkled it in both in the beginning and in the end of the special, and also because as the uh, jokes progress and we get more to a lighter tone, he's talking a lot about textbook things he's talked about before, generally, uh, you know, modern observations, of course. And part of that is, you know, woke culture, right? And he doesn't come across as like uh, bitter or mad about woke culture in the way it affected him. Again, that's something that Louis C.K. has, you know, kind of railed against recently in his return. So, yeah, I, I like the way he handled it. I think it was uh, done pretty tastefully and honestly yeah it's it's hard i think to to look at a special like this because it's so rehearsed and you can tell it's so rehearsed and um, other than the the few times things seem spontaneous like the the justin tyler moment um or like the the girl in the crowd who yells funny and like aziz like calls that out you can tell that he he knew all the beats that he had been practicing this and because of that it, it can kind of make these thoughts even even though they are genuine seem i mean seem a bit rehearsed and seem a bit like they aren't coming necessarily from the heart in that moment but i do think that what he gets at and the way he presents it and the tone he takes with it you know bringing it down to to that serious level not not trying to really make light of it especially at the beginning or end and even when he does touch on some headier topics later i think he always kind of brings it back to himself in ways and uh, I, I think he handled it as, as well as anyone in the situation could have it's it's such a difficult line to walk um because of all the points that you made before i i thought that he shifted very quickly into the set which i, I was actually was glad because I mean, first of all, I had to turn the volume on my TV up like 20 extra decibels just to hear him. He was talking so low, but also because I, I wanted to get back into Aziz and, and hear more of the jokes he had to say. And I felt like the jokes he delivered were, were good observations. I do think he whiffed a little bit, especially when talking about like R. Kelly and Michael Jackson in terms of bringing that back to himself and how the, the way fans might be perceiving the things that R. Kelly and Michael Jackson are doing might he might be receiving some of that treatment in certain ways because of people just going to the whole cancel culture right away and not really um, looking further into the facts. But a lot of the jokes landed really well, and I don't think he's missed a beat comedically. Um, And if anything, I feel like he's matured in terms of how he tells these stories and tells uh, the jokes and the observations he's going through. How did you feel about, like, the content of the jokes throughout? Yeah, and speaking to the maturity of it all, uh, towards the back half when he starts talking about his grandmother with Alzheimer's and then seeing his parents and not seeing them enough kind of feels like the more learned worldly Aziz that perhaps we got touched on around Master of None season two. Uh, He definitely feels like a different guy than he was when he was selling out MSG like only half a dozen comics ever have, you know, and I think the way he, it it just really felt like he was sincere with a lot of like the jokes. Like I actually felt like he kind of like believed the way he was feeling. Like like some of the, I thought like the progressive Candy Crush stuff stuff I saw when he performed. Like I think that's just really funny stuff. But he's not like coming at it in like a bitter way, you know. And he's also not being like a both sides police kind of guy either. It just kind of feels like he's just coming like from his his perspective about like there's a time and a place for when to discuss things like when he makes the brunch comment and stuff like that yeah so I, I think overall like a lot of the a lot of the jokes yeah they, they just they just feel smarter just because he is they've changed because Aziz as he said has changed as well yeah. now that he's in his mid-30s I like the crazy rich Asians joke mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> 12 points lower 12 points lower the, the, the swastika pizza one. Oh, yeah, that uh, was saw that one live. Uh, that one worked with the clapping one in my venue as well. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, but, like, also, like, you know, kind of like a, like a, like a classic Aziz things, you know? Uh, things don't just become racist when the white people figure it out, you know? And I think that was kind of a smart way to touch on uh, Apu in Simpsons. Something, you know, like, speaks back to the uh, Indians on TV master of none episode you know he's talked about this stuff before and well i think people have come at him to directly denounce the simpsons creators and the way they've handled that i think he just did it in in his own way and i think the whole point of 
yeah, it was fucked up 30 years ago. We didn't have a platform back then. You know, it's uh, it's cutting, but it's smart and it's it's correct. So, I uh, I think yeah, just overall the uh, the maturity and uh, more, I guess top level observations stand out. And yeah, so you you didn't think the R. Kelly, Michael Jackson stuff landed as well because it is it is an interesting juxtaposition of how people are much more apt to dump R. Kelly than MJ. Um, and how much of that is just because of the music quality difference, you know? No, I actually think the jokes around it landed very well. I think especially when he started poking fun at himself in terms of all the times he mentioned R. Kelly and how much he loved R. Kelly, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, and also how he kept going back to what he like Jeff Greenberg or whatever he named that guy or whatever the guy's name was in... Uh, you know how he he canceled Michael Jackson, but it took like a thousand kids before he was willing to like draw that line. You know, um, I thought that was funny. W- where I felt like he just missed a little bit is, um, because he yeah connecting back to himself and the things that he's experienced. Um, you know, I felt like there was a, a bit of a th- uh, through line he could have kind of pulled it back together a little bit more. But I also can understand him not wanting to necessarily. Uh, so closely associate himself with those two, especially with the year that, that they both had. Uh, Michael Jackson, obviously not here to experience it, and R. Kelly very much experiencing it. Um, <laughs> I've had a rough year as it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, just to go back to one joke that, probably the joke I laughed the hardest at was when he was talking about um, how he was the first uh, Indian person he saw on MTV. And but he said, and they said, well, actually, the second, the the basis from no doubt, but you know how that that band p- plays it, don't speak, <laughs> and just the way he delivered that, I was like dying on my couch. I thought that was so good. I, you know, an interesting thing I was talking about with uh, my girlfriend Julianne as we watched it. Do you think that this is going to uh, be kind of like what kicks off the next phase of like shows and Aziz content moving forward. He, he has, even though he's been touring internationally and doing these like, somewhat underground shows, he's been pretty dormant, other, uh, you know, especially in the public guy. I mean, he's been doing shows, but not as, uh, it's not, that's not as accessible as something like master of none, which is on a platform. Almost well, most people in the United States have access to. So he did, he did a lot of shows the past few months all over the place, not just major cities, really. And now that he's done that run and been seen by t- scores of people, and now he has a front-page Netflix special once again, um, yeah, he, he, he's definitely back in that sense. But if you remember, even before uh, everything hopped off last year, his social media game went off a cliff and just really became promotional. So he kind of kind of felt like he was kind of out of the out of the loop, um, by design, uh, point back to Master of None, a show that Netflix immediately said, yes, we'll we'll do it again if Aziz and Alan want to make it. And they didn't really comment much on it. They're like, yeah, maybe one day, you know? So I think now he's in a moment, and Alina Waithe has come in support of him, of course. And I th- part of me thinks maybe the Master of None season three call happens this year. Like, we'll find out if it's coming back at all. Um, but then again, maybe he'll just um, keep it cool again. I don't know. He had his head down all of last year for reasons that he didn't choose to, obviously. But now, uh, I'm you know maybe he has other projects in mind. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, it, it just kind of feels like he's just kind of like a uh, a superstar that's likes to pull back a little bit. It's kind of you know connects to a lot of his humor now about the internet and everything and just how he's. I don't know, and like the, the the finer moments that you let slip by, it kind of feels like he's shifted in his celebrity. So whether that affects his creative output, who, who can say? You know, he, we're not really going to know anything until he officially wants us to. You know? Yeah, uh, I think um, especially with the way he ended the special, talking about wanting to be more in the moment, wanting to enjoy things more. Uh, I could see him dropping this, uh, taking a little bit of time for himself um and like you said kind of just making projects at the pace that he feels because uh, he doesn't really need to be working if he doesn't want to be and um i would love to get another season of master of none and i think especially with what he's gone through i feel like he could 
uh, you know, he has that life experience that I think he could make an interesting tele- uh, television season about. But um, I think he probably also would want to handle it very delicately and, uh, you know, uh, thoughtfully. So uh, probably won't be hearing from him too, too soon, but we'll be anticipating when we do um what about spike jones i mean just kind of i was surprised that he directed it i want to see him making more movies yeah come he's only made like a few movies since the <laughs> 90s it's kind of annoying it's very makes annoying. so many music video music videos yep. and stuff like this yeah man spike jones work more seriously yeah <laughs> please what her was his last major one? Yeah, 13, 2013. Six years ago. Man, we, he needs to make another movie. Because every time he does, too, it's so interesting. Even his even yeah. his music videos are really interesting. Oh, I forgot he did that whole video short for the Arcade Fire. Hey, Didn't need to do that. That's real. I mean, it, it was The Suburbs. That's a good album. LCD Sound System, Jay-Z, Kanye. Oh, he did the Otis video? Wow. Iconic. Yep. Some, there's some good stuff on this filmography. Anyways, Aziz. We're glad he's back. Um, check out the special. All right, so moving off Aziz Ansari, on to another Netflix original, Stranger Things 3. We, uh, we go to our YouTube page, uh, was it youtube.com slash nostalgiapod, and uh, check out our breakout for the first half of the season. You know, with these Netflix shows that are so binge- bingeable, it's hard to, to break them up in a way that everybody can kind of get down to so we wanted to not do it all at once and kind of do half season half season pretty much i think the summary of the first half was it was good to be back with the gang and kind of see where the storylines were going and second half dave well how how are you feeling about the end of stranger things three yeah so i enjoyed i enjoyed the whole season i enjoyed my my time in hawkins as it were but I think the thing that excites me most is the prospect of where the show leaves off and the question of whether the Duffer Brothers and Netflix and co will actually commit to a true shakeup as they're suggesting, namely Hopper being dead elsewhere, something, Eleven not having her powers right now, the buyers leaving, moving somewhere else. I think as as we said in the in the first first half of this season talk Season two definitely felt just kind of like a continuation of season one, kind of more of season one, more than anything else. And the start of season three really does establish that time has passed. These characters have changed, which is great. And we like all these actors. They're really fun to be around. We like this world. And what we don't want is to feel any kind of apathy to the storytelling. And I think the key with that is trying to change things. And again, I think they did that. But along the way, we got a lot of those criticisms once again, namely that Eleven always saves everyone. And if it's not for Eleven, everyone's effed. More or less, that was true once again. I think the cast is probably ballooned to as big as it possibly can be. I'm really glad we have Erica. And I'm really glad that Steve is still over here. And I love Maya Hawke's Robin. I love her addition. But I think we're good. I, th- I, think, I think that's enough. And I'm kind of happy the buyers left because... I've had enough Will for, for the rest of time. Will, Will, Will needs to get a new stylist, man. T- tough look for him dressing like a like a five-year-old. Wait, wait. Let, let me do Will's favorite line. He's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because Will, in some respects, I think got a little bit more to do last season only because he had that one episode where he was just like wilding out. In basically like like exorcism uh, type episode. <laughs> and, and I guess in the first half of the season, he got to be sad about his friend's being interested in girls and him not necessarily being at that point yet or maybe not being interested in girls in general we don't know but yeah i i feel like the additions to the season of you know robin and just uh kind of max being brought in a little bit more breeds a, a nice like oh and also obviously um lucas's sister i'm forgetting erica. her name erica I, I feel like they really added a, a nice oh and even murray murray and alexi yes, i felt like they sure. added murray was awesome. these really like these nice breaths of fresh air while you got to hang with these these people you really liked the plot doesn't necessarily interest me a lot you know like i'm i'm not it's a, it's a monster that kind of unexplained how it got there why it's there the mind um, flare. yeah and it, it kind of sure. leads leaves off there even in like the post credit scene where it's like okay this monster's there but we still don't really know anything about these monsters other than we thought we closed the portal but i guess we didn't or they were trying to open the portal but what I liked most was just, again, like the moments you got where it's the gang doing stuff like 
Steve and Robin being on drugs. Like, I don't know what drugs they were on. It could have been ecstasy. It could have been just like a truth serum of some sort. I, th- I think it was supposed to be a truth serum, obviously, but it was playing like they were tripping balls to a certain extent. Yeah. <laughs> that I, that was hilarious. And I love seeing them just like be goofy and like running around. I loved the, the never ending story scene that you started the pod with. I, that's mm-hmm. one of probably the most memorable moments of the season. Dusty bun. You know, I, I think what the show does really well is it... it it brings in these these 80s references and nostalgia and some it got a little campy at times this season but it does it in a way that you're still like oh that was awesome like the the terminator type russian dude who (laughs) hopper was fighting throughout the season i thought that was a great like ongoing thing yeah just like fun to watch i I don't think we needed to have um the mayor explicitly call him the terminator though like he's clearly he's clearly a a a riff on the terminator you don't need to explicitly tell us the the mayor was a tough character for me i mean i know he's supposed to be like one of those over the top 80s villains but right. like just a little, little too much for me yeah i mean he, he's played by carrie ells yeah who just follows up this 80s star run they've had with paul riser who makes a cameo again mm-hmm. and winona ryder and of course sean astin you know they're, they're just yeah i mean who, who are they gonna bring in next that's probably the most exciting part of season four for some older folks <laughs> let's get some mark hamill in there or something oh, like shit. that that'd be sick that'd be a great villain and just kind of been looking looking through the season and, and what I really like stands out what really stands out is just the settings like we talked about in the first review uh the first half of the season were just so great mm-hmm. you know that that fight in the carnival or the the fair whatever it was like the cabin the mall as like a driving force at the beginning of the season for like hanging out and then as like this battleground for the second half of the season was just so smartly done and I feel like all of the characters kind of got their their own moments, which I think works out. And mm-hmm. Just overall, really, really well done. You mentioned Hopper's death. Do you think he's dead? I really want him to be. Yeah. I, I, they did put a lot of work at the end into actually setting it up that they've moved on, there was grief. And then just immediately tease that he's probably alive in the cell in Russia. <sighs> just kind of annoyed me, just because they wouldn't actually commit yeah. to it. I know David Harper is super popular. And like he loves this show. This is the biggest. This is the biggest thing of his career, obviously. And I guess if they did bring him back, it would be a, it would be a new dynamic uh, by default. But I would just be more interested in him not being there anymore and Eleven continuing to grow on her own and with Will and all that. Um, so if I had to guess, though, I think they will bring him back. And it's probably not actually totally planned yet by the Duffers, to be honest. But yeah, I think they do bring him back. I just wish they wouldn't. Yeah, it's going to get hard because a lot of these people are, g- are going to be getting uh, a lot more work to do. You know, Finn Wolfhard uh, is going to be in the new Go- Ghostbusters movie. Uh, He's in the Goldfinch. The Goldfinch, yep. We have uh, Millie Bobby Brown who's like blowing up and you know, is in Godzilla and mm-hmm. all these uh, movies. I have a feeling she's going to be quite busy. It's going to be hard to keep this cast together, so it's smart that they broke them up so that they can kind of like tape things separately and yeah. don't necessarily need to all be together rest of development season four yeah exactly <laughs> piece together but i also do feel like that's going to kind of bring in this new feeling of the show where it's like this it's a little more disjointed and not as much about like the togetherness yeah of the town speaking of millie obviously she's so great as a performer and what's up to me is just how effortless it seems her performance is and that actually kind of made me like judge sadie sink who plays max a little bit because i was like I almost feel like I could see the seams a little bit. Like I, can, I could tell she was acting, and I, I think I, I, she's good. Like I like I like the character. I like everything she does. But I was like, oh, I can kind of tell you're acting a little bit. That's a little unfair because you're playing off of Millie, who's just so great. Yeah, she does so much with her face, and obviously, it's weird that Eleven can't talk uh, that well yet. Yeah, um, still really struggling with that skill. But uh, she does so much just non-verbally to portray emotion it's really impressive i i also hope uh, i mean i hope that they're they're able to keep the show going because i find it interesting i i feel like if they didn't have that after credit scene this could have been a really good series finale definitely so i almost kind of wish they kind of left it there because if this is if that's the way it wrapped up i think that's great so mm-hmm. we'll see N- netflix obviously wants to keep cashing them checks though so yeah, they said 40.7 million accounts watch 70% of at least one episode in the first four days, which is, Nielsen says is about 20% increase from season two. So, yeah, they don't want this show to go away. And the question would be maybe years from now, if they keep this brand going, 
with a whole new cast down the line, you know, make a 90 show. Right. Who knows? Yeah, that's an interesting idea. La- last question. Uh, thoughts on Billy, Billy's arc throughout the season? Definitely better Billy all around Billy stuff than season two, mm-hmm. where he didn't really do much of yep. anything. I did think the overall stuff with like Eleven, seeing him at the beach as a kid and his mom, and it just didn't really make much sense. And I feel like a really weird way to hamstring an emotional beats as a way for her to break through and redeem Billy in a certain sense, like crack through the the Mind Flayer's spell of it all. I I don't know if that made a whole lot of sense, or at least wasn't done in a convincing enough way to let you suspend disbelief totally. So I felt that was kind of a weird, just a weird, weird distraction when it came up. Yeah. But yeah, like I said before, I think Dacre Montgomery's quite winning in the role, and I'm looking forward to seeing him do more stuff. He's actually Australian, but he I think he does a good uh, Midwest American guy. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. Uh, I thought his arc was uh, definitely better. Um, I agree the, the redemption at the end was a little strange, but it seems like in a way uh, Elle's powers are shifting a little bit, especially now that the yeah. mind flare has been inside her legs, so maybe that's changed things. Sure. But definitely interesting. Stranger Things Season 3, uh, wrapping up uh, on a high note for sure. What do we got for next week, Dave? So next week, we'll talk about those Emmy noms that are coming out probably the day you're listening to this, as well as we're going to go through Quentin Tarantino's filmography and go deep on QT in light of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out in two weeks. And then the following week, we'll talk about all the stuff coming out at the end of this week. Lion King, Farewell, Marvel's announcing stuff at San Diego Comic-Con, Big Little Lies is ending season two, Maxwell Cream's dropping out on the really hype for, so plenty of stuff coming up, but Quentin Tarantino next week get ready hit that subscribe button if you're watching on youtube soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod to find all the other ways to listen to the podcast and go on twitter at nostalgia pod give us a follow there we love you we appreciate you peace out yeah.